Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, more reactions meet President Akufado's latest reshuffle with a legislator complaining about the neglect of the Western North region in the government. Also coming up, Deputy Majority Leader Alex Apenyo Markin's last-minute attempt to amend the anti-LGBTQI bill on custodial sentence fails. The bill, though, is still in Parliament, and the consideration continues. And later on Eyewitness News, after 10 years of his misconduct in the infamous Alfred Agbeshi Woyome judgment death case, one of the lead prosecutors, Nekwe Tete, is disbarred by the General Legal Council. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Government urged to employ strategies to diversify economy to enhance growth. That's in 15 minutes from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a host of affiliate stations, including in the Western region on Premier 100.5 in Takradi, Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi, and Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi. In the Bono region on Greener 95.9 in Sunyani, in Ahafo region on Hammers 106.5 FM in Gosu. In Ashanti region on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi, in Volta region on Akpini Radio 96.7 in Kwando and Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohwe. In the Northern region on Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi. In Upper West on Word 88.3 FM in Zuarungu. In Upper West, Westlink 88.1 FM in Laura. And in Northeast region on Eagle 94.1 FM in Waliwale. We are live on YouTube. We are live on Facebook. We are also on citynewsroom.com and we are interactive do join us with your whatsapp messages 0549-986-996 0549-986-996 alternatively go on x formerly known as twitter and drop a message there using the hashtag city newsroom my handle is at umaru sanda you can also send a message via at city973 on Point Blank tonight, we'll hear from the newly uh, promoted or newly named Minister of Finance, the Honorable Dr. Mohamed Amin Adam, or ANTA, a member of Parliament for Karaga, who has been made a Minister for Finance. That's on Point Blank later uh, here on Eyewitness News. But we take off from the reshuffle, which is what I've just talked about. Yesterday, President Akufado reshuffled his government, did some reorganization of his government and uh, took off, of course, critical among them, the Minister of Finance and replaced him with the Minister of State and the Ministry of Finance. That has been the big ticket item since yesterday. But a number of other things have come up. One person uh, who um, is, is leaving the government is the Minister for Environment, Science, Technology and Innovation, Dr. Kwekwe Friye, he's member of parliament for Sahiri also. Sahiri also is the capital of the newly created Western North region, a region that President Akufado saw to the creation.
Tonight we are hearing that because of his exit from government and the non-replacement of anyone from that region has become a problem in terms of constitutional provisions on naming government ministers. The man who is leading this charge is the member of parliament for Bodhi something. Uh, he, he's joined us on the line. You're welcome to Eyewitness News. Eh? Thank you, Farouk. First of all, what was this constitutional provision that you are referring to? Yeah. Uh, you know that at Unitary uh, State, uh, whatever we do should try and bring all of us together as one people. So if you have observed over the years, cabinet appointment, minister's appointment, reflect the various regions that we have in the country. And therefore, under the constitution, it stated clearly that president even though they have the power to appoint, they should consider regional balance. Regional balance. And for that matter, since President Lawrence, um, President Kufur, um, Moss, um, Muhammad, um, every president has tried the best to ensure that after composition of the minister, it will reflect a representation from all the regions. Now, we have 16 regions in the country. If you read through the existing ministers and the new ones, and then the deputy ministers, there is none from the Western North region. We had only one minister, even though we were not happy, but we console ourselves with Dr. Kokuya Friye as Minister for Environment and Science. Yesterday, he was sacked by the president. So as a region, we were expected that he would replace Dr. Kokuya Friye. But that didn't happen. So as we speak, there is nobody representing Western North in cabinet, nor even the deputy minister, there's nobody. Don't forget that there are nine, reg- nine districts in the Western North region. And so it is strange to us that the president will uh, not consider anybody from the region to be part of his government. And so we are not happy. The chiefs, the people of the region are not happy at all. And they are struggling to understand why a president will do this to the whole region. Because there are some regions who have seven ministers, six ministers, eight ministers. And it is strange that there are other regions too without even a deputy minister. And so we want to believe that this is an oversight and we are calling on the president to ratify the anomaly, to do the right thing by making sure that the cabinet that he is constituting will reflect all the regions so that uh, 
it will be fair to all of us because we also from the Western North region contribute immensely to the development of this country. I see. So, Jojo Rocky, or being being a minister does not satisfy this requirement. You think? He's your Western region. He's your Western regional, Western North minister. Regional minister. There are sixteen regional ministers. Jojo Oben is a regional minister because he's from the Western North region. And at Greater Accra, they have regional minister. Eastern, they have regional minister. Ashanti, they have regional minister. We are talking about sectorial ministers, cabinet ministers. The regional minister is not a cabinet position. And so if every region has uh, a minister, and for that matter, we think that we, you cannot compensate person of region with a regional minister's position. Because as I've said, every region has a, a regional minister. But we are talking about finance, education, agric, environment, uh, tourism, uh, just name them. This is what we are talking about. At the national level, there's nobody from Western North region to represent the current government, and which is unacceptable. Honorable Member of Parliament, you are from a party that has been criticizing the president for having an elephant-sized government. He's trying to reduce the size of government. You then turn around again and say he hasn't appointed enough. Can you really be satisfied? The fact that you are trying to reduce the size of government does not mean that you should stop change a particular region or a particular group of people. Even if the ministers are assisting, each region should have one. So you cannot appoint five to a particular region at the expense of other regions. Yeah, we are calling on the government, the president, to reduce the size of his government. But he should do that fairly. He should do that to respect all the regions in the country. So you cannot say that because you want to reduce the size of your government, which that is not what the president has even done, because he has just either replaced or appointed a new person. So the same number stands. And so the president has not reduced the size of government. But as I've said earlier, you cannot reduce the size of government and shortchange other group of people like he has done to with the people in the Western North region. How can you have this cured? Is there any step that you can take to have it cured then? If you think there's a constitutional breach, what can be done? I think... As I said earlier, it's an oversight, and uh, we will write officially to the president to draw his attention to this huge omission on his part, so that he will do the right thing. Even I'm not sure uh, when he hears or he gets the letter that we send to him, he will sit on it because I'm sure when he realizes that. He hasn't done justice to we, the people in the Western North region. He will rectify the situation because he will not be comfortable. He will not be happy that he has neglected a section of Ghanaians who equally contribute immensely to the economic well-being of our country. We are just asking him that he should be fair 
to win the people in the Western North region by making sure that we have a, represent, a representation at the cabinet level and uh, 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 some deputy ministers so that all of us can support him to manage the country. Just just on a lighter side, though, could it be that you haven't given the president enough MPs from Western North? That's why he has neglected you. Have you considered that? That is not a point. When NDC was in government, Asante region didn't give us enough MPs, but we equally considered them. You remember OTJ was even the minister for energy. You understand? And other deputy ministers from Ashanti region. So irrespective of whether or not you the, the region votes for you or not, that is not what uh, you have to do. The constitution against you to make sure that in appointing people into government, you do it to reflect the regional balance, to reflect all the groups that we have in the country. So I'm not sure the, that's what the president is telling us. And there are now registered, they have three MPs at the moment. And that is about 30%. So the, that cannot be a justification. Very well. Finally, uh, you you were at the Ministry of Works and Housing as a deputy. Um, you have seen the shake up. It has affected that ministry. You have been a key or chief spokesperson for the NDC side in Parliament on works and housing matters. What do you make of the removal of uh, Asan Subwachi from the ministry to be replaced with um, Honorable Kojo Ponkrumah? Any prospects? Any positive? Are you excited? What's your feeling like? No, I, I think that uh, as we have said uh, already, uh, these changes done by the president is not going to achieve any meaningful results. It's not going to uh, advance our government or to ensure that it adds meaningful results because it is late in the day. I mean, the, pre- the, the government has collapsed already and appointing new ministers or reshuffling ministers into uh, ministries to assume office within uh, maybe around uh, March ending. March ending means that we, uh, we have less than about nine months into the next election. And normally when you, uh, a minister assumes office, it takes three or four months to acquaint himself or her or herself to the, uh, I mean, the nitty-gritty of that particular ministry. And so before even this minister that has been appointed or reshuffled into various ministries will be, uh, I mean, find your feet on the ground, we are already into the general election. And so this is not going to add anything to uh, the, the, the development in the various regions. Don't forget that the budget for 2024 has started running. It has been approved already. Policies in 2024 have been captured already in the budget. The implementation has actually started. And so ministers are not going to introduce or come out with 
uh, new modalities, new programs, new activities. You're only just going there to implement it. And implementing the budget depends on availability of resources. And we know that last year in 2023, some ministries didn't even get 25% of what was allocated to them. And so it's just, it's just as I've been described by like, a lot of people, it's just to meet a political demand, just to equip a lot of the MPs, uh, parliamentary candidates, so that they can win their seats and also support MPPs, uh, presidential candidates, to maybe uh, take advantage of 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 the election that which is coming. But we, I don't think that uh, changes to Zubuache and bringing Kojo Ponkoma, now we are going to start seeing houses being springing up in the country, or our gutters are going to be, or, I mean, that, that nothing is going to happen, actually. But is there anything you would advise him to do and anything you would advise him not to do since you have you have fair knowledge of that ministry? What should be his uh, priority? Thing, I know when Asensu came, he assured that Sagrami uh, uh, Housen was top on his table and that he was going to do whatever he could to ensure that Sagrami uh, was completed and allocated to Kenya. He didn't even spread the wish around the government. So I would like to focus on how government will complete those houses at the government so that the Nians can benefit. And also, if you could remember, one attached also like Zoom office, he made mention of government requiring about $700 million to do drainage in Accra. Now, uh, the rains are not setting. That's why we are not trying. And so you should focus on making sure that all gases in a class, particularly, are distorted. So that anytime it rains, there can be a free flow of uh, water into the sea or run through the gases. And also to make sure that the drainage uh, system from the, the, the foam rate area into the low-lying areas will be constructed. But these are all uh, capital intensive. And also, if now, if you go to the coastal areas, there are lots of erosion, uh, erosion uh, that are as a result of uh, not able to do sea defense. We are not protecting the sea against the land. And for that matter, uh, uh, even some we are, we are losing some communities. And so we should also focus on sea defense activities along the coast so that we can protect life and property. But as I said, these are just few advice, but I don't expect that he's going to do much because it is too late in the day. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You're welcome. That's Member of Parliament for Bodhi Samsenahi, former Deputy Minister for Works and Housing. This is Eyewitness News on 97. Point three CTFM. We'll return with more. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. The major story we are looking at tonight, the president's shakeup of his government and the reaction from the Western North Member of Parliament, the Member of Parliament from the Western North region, who says that their, that region has been underserved and it is unconstitutional. We've been hearing from something. Uh, another story we are looking at tonight 
The anti-LGBTQI bill that is currently before Parliament has been going through a stage for passage, but this afternoon it was arrested temporarily by the Deputy Majority Leader Alexander Penyo Markin, who is MP for Ifutu. He's joining us on the line. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. So, and uh, good evening to your listeners. Good evening. So, the, May I may I correct an unfortunate impression you're creating out there that it was arrested temporarily. I don't think that the procedure in our, in our house today amounted to uh, an arrest. The sponsors of the bill themselves had their own amendment, and which amendment would have required a motion to be moved for second consideration. There are rules. Second consideration is part of the lawmaking process. So the fact that a member moves an amendment at second consideration stage does not amount to an arrest of the process of lawmaking. So I just want us to correct that. So the publications that say you have blocked the passage... Because they... they, That's wrong. Any publication, yes. Because then whoever did that publication misappreciated the, 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 the process of today. Because there, there's no, no, there's no way you can block a legislation. The rules are very clear that before third consideration is considered, a member who has an amendment in part or in whole can move for second consideration. And like I indicated earlier, the sponsors of the bill themselves had their own amendment that without even my amendment as, uh, as, as submitted, they were also going to move the uh, motion. In fact, one of the sponsors actually seconded the motion. So I don't see where this uh, arrest of the bill, arrest of the bill is coming from. If that is the impression you've also had, I beg of you to correct that and help correct that unfortunate impression. So what happened on the floor was a normal you know, lawmaking process. So the understanding is that there was a motion emanating from you, which motion had two issues. Can you confirm that and also share with us what the two issues you raised were? As a matter of procedure, on the 171 uh, requires of you, an interested individual, to seek the leave of Mr. Speaker by moving a motion. The motion to the effect that you want the House to proceed on second consideration so that issues that you have could be ironed out. Now, when that motion is moved, that is the first leg of a two-legged journey. So if that is carried, then the door will be open for you to enter. By entry, you can now move your amendment. Now, in today's uh, proceeding, after moving the motion, the sponsors, through one of them, the Honorable Bedra, seconded the motion. And that paved way for us to uh, start the amendment. Please. Are you there? 
Yes, I'm here. So, I'm so, 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 the way. so, 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 uh, when the door to move to good. So, when the door was opened, to the second uh, amendment. So, the the amendment, the critical one, is what you discussed with us, has to do with the custodial sentence. You, so you, you forcefully yeah, made the, the point that that should not yeah, happen. Sure. Right, and then that 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 was my first leg in respect uh, of the offender. The second one is you, the journalist. You remember that in two thousand and one. Under J. Kufo's administration, criminal libel law was uh, was uh, expunged from our records. We outlawed it because we said, as a country, it's sin against the constitution, that constitutional provision that allowed for free speech and that protected the media. Uh, Omaro, with the greatest respect, uh, forgive me if I get it wrong, I do not think I do not think that the media itself has paid due attention, due regard to this bill. Because it is written in ink that if a media house expresses any editorial policy on any issue regarding sexuality, that media house and its members or that media person will be jailed. I don't know whether you've seen it. That is, that, 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 that is that's in consonance with the general, you know, spirit of the bill, which says that if you promote the act, you are as guilty as if you perpetrated the act. So that that that, right. that, that is well, what well, is, their proponents are pushing, no, and no, that's in not order. Not only that, no, the, what is your editorial policy as a media house? What is the, you see? My question is that my issue is this: if you impose custodial center. You are setting the country back to where, as a country, we say, look, a journalist who is must face a civil liability instead of a criminal consequence. Do you, do you think that it would be appropriate having a law criminal libel? In the past, we had, uh, we had uh, 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 a plaintiff could have remedy in, uh, in, in, in thought. And at the same time, could rely on the state to invoke that uh, criminal provision or criminal libel. So you may be pursuing uh, a, a journalist on one leg where there's a civil suit where you're going to, you're going to uh, get compensated, damages, etc. Then in another breath, the state suing that journalist and saying that your action, that, that misreporting or that misinformation, that story you wrote about Mr. A amount to, you know, uh, you know, spreading falsehood about him, therefore go to jail for six months. My question is, do we want to visit that regime that we ourselves said it was unconstitutional? We may have to be very careful and pay due attention to the issue in Parliament. Look, I am not against the principle, the object of the bill. I've said the time without number. However, if we want to protect our Ghanaian family values, if we want to say that, look, in this country, Ghana, after all, you go to the Arab, uh, <laughs> the Gulf area and all, they are clear this is not 
part of our culture. So there's nothing wrong with us as a country telling the whole world that, look, for our cultural values, this thing, we don't like it. It's against our culture. It's against everything within our tradition, our body, you know, within our society, against our religion, Christian, Muslim, traditional. We don't like it. Fair enough. That's one. All 275 MPs agree. Now, the second stage is the process of achieving that. How do we solve the problem? Do we solve the problem by making it worse or we making situations better so that we can achieve the purpose? And that is where the, we must be careful. And then also those journalists or media houses who may be writing their own editorials or who may be expressing views about it or talking about it. It's not just even talking about, oh, you promoting it, but just mention of it in itself is a crime. And then you don't even tell the judge that, okay, if, in a, if the person is a first-time offender, do this. You say that either custodial sentence or a fine. You give the judge an option. So if you go to a judge who has a certain conservative thinking, you come in and you know that, oh, I could either impose a fine or take you to prison. Obviously, a very conservative judge with, these option, with that option would choose the custodial sentence. And I'm saying that if the custodial sentencing the solution, now, upon making this point known, the next line of my argument suffices, which is the posture of our court for the past 10 years or so. It's been to look at non-custodial sentence. Is the reason why we enacted the, the plea bargaining act. We used to have plea bargaining in our, in our law books, but we have enacted it differently. A situation where the person can have an opportunity to even pay the state or to even pay some compensation in monetary terms and then, you know, uh, uh, end the whole prosecution. So if that is the thinking of, 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 of our judiciary, if that is the policy that, look, the nature of our court, the state of our, of, our, of our prison, we want to go this path. Why do we want to divide? It's basically the point I'm making. Now, I also argue that, look, in place of the custodial sentence, let us introduce a community service. A community service. The community service would provide a platform, apart from the whatever form of community service the judge will impose, there would be a platform, again, for mandatory counseling. So the mandatory counseling, if you look at my proposal, I am saying that we should have a clinical psychologist to chair that committee. We should have a chief in the person's community, an opinion leader, uh, a member from the clergy or an imam, a respected Islamic cleric. And the person can be taken through all of these. Now, isn't people's sexuality 
a form of behavior. It is their behavior. It's a lifestyle. Somebody would say well, maybe it is. Um, it has to do with uh, some uh, medical or some uh, what's the word? I've forgotten. You know, um, somebody says I was born with it and all that. Now the point is that if we take the person to his home, would we get the solution from there? Okay, so and so, that is where I use the personal example of I don't know whether you've had the benefit of visiting a prison. You are a law student. I don't know whether we, we've we've discussed it last week. You 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 gave that example. So my point is that so you appeared. Uh, you were in the chamber today. You 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 advanced these arguments, but when it came to it, you lost the motion, didn't you? No, no. But we we only did one motion. No, I'm saying that the specific one on the custodial, you you lost that vote, didn't you? I'm saying that we started with one motion. We have not finished. I mean, the house was adjourned. Oh, so so there's still a possibility that the custodial sentence would be. You see, there's something about lawmaking. Mm-hmm. There, there's something about lawmaking. I don't think we'll get all the time to, 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 to discuss all. You see, we judge or we have something called winnowing. Okay? And we discuss, find it is okay, build consensus. You know, when we left the chamber, for instance, some colleagues, I mean, who were part of the who are part of the sponsors, have suggested that, okay, leader, if you if you do it this way, uh, we would be in agreement. If this comes, that's okay. Let's sit down and discuss. Because fortunately, all of us are adding them on the object of the bill. The disagreement lies in the consequences of your breach. That is where some are very conservative, some are liberal, and all. So we can find another ground. And I put a question. You, as a journalist, don't you think that you should have some civil uh, repercussion upon breaching this law rather than having a criminal repercussion, okay. which repercussion would amount to a custodial sentence? Let's, you don't, do, let, let's, have you looked at it critically? Just, have you paid attention to that one? Just, just, just a point of clarity. The news yes, from please. the House is that the house rejected your proposal for the the amendment. I have not said no to it. I just wanted I to be sure. I just want to hear it from you. No, no, but but at least, but at least, but at least on the first count, no, no problem. So there's there's still possibility. But currently, as we speak, that proposal of yours that wishes that people are not sent to Nsawam or whichever prison. Because of this, that has been shut down by the house. That's correct. What I'm telling you is that we have not. You see, if you see, well, 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 was that, there was there a vote? Was, was, was there a vote on your was your on your proposal Omaru. or not? Yes, Omaru, please, patient, patient. We are dealing with a technical matter. Now, if a motion is moved on an amendment, right? You can only say that it's been defeated wholly if a final question is put on that clause. Do you get my point? When the procedure is that a motion will be moved, and then the, that particular clause may be, may be in for various amendments. So it may have amendment number one, say clause four, 
it may have one amendment, would have another. But I'm saying that the mere fact that a question is put on an aspect and a certain decision is reached would not mean that everything there is over. When the clause is considered and is completed, then the speaker or the presiding officer will see clause four or clause five as variously amended. You know, stands part of the bill. Okay, leader. Then all in favor. Leader. So that would be a comp that would end the process on that. Okay, leader. I see. But if you put the question to me that oh, it's been defeated, then I would disagree. Leader, that is not I'm, a correct suggestion. You see, I'm an I'm a news person. And I also want to understand in simple terms for those who, your parliamentary process is complex, maybe laborious, but and all of that. No problem. And the reporter has said to us that you put forth two positions. One position being that if I, a media person or a media house, promotes LGBTQI activities, the law currently, as you are working on, says. I should be jailed just like anybody else. You are saying that because of the repeal of the criminal uh, libel law from the early 2000s, this will fly in the face of that repeal, which has been celebrated widely. That, my reporter says, is yet to be determined. However, my reporter says, your proposal that anybody who is found engaging in same-sex marriage should be given custodial sentence you have said you don't want that. You want the person to do community service or other forms of punishment. That particular position of yours, it was put to a vote. And when it came to it, the speaker said, those against you had it. And I'm asking you a simple term. You've put two positions forward. One is yet to be determined, but the other one has been determined. And for now, as it stands... You've lost that position. And that's what I want to hear from you. No, admitting that okay, what my reporter no, has sent is correct. You. Okay. All right. All right. So your reporter won't be wrong in terms of what he, he saw. So I need to explain to you where I think that the reporter should pay attention to. And that is the particular clause had other proposed amendments. So the entire clause would have either been carried or defeated in terms of my amendment if everything had been exhausted. But you'll be right to say that on an aspect which was taken, the House did not carry it. He was right. But what I'm saying is that that clause had not traveled its full journey. Because there were other amendments that I had. In fact, I filed the amendment. I filed them as far back as last week. But unfortunately, the clerk at table had not published them. And this morning, I questioned them. And they said, oh, they wanted us to move the motion first. So the actual amendments were brought just as we were about to take the motion. And even so, they had not finished the printing. And Mr. Speaker made it public. So I'm saying that we have not concluded on the entire clause because there were several amendments under that. Okay? So if he says, if he takes the view that the amendment has been defeated, he would be right in the sense that 
that aspect was defeated. Okay. But he would be wrong in the sense that we have not completed the process on that clause. Because the, if they defeat you, you know, when we are doing lawmaking, we do back and forth. Somebody would rise and say, oh, okay, Mr. Speaker, instead of this, then let's put a comma here. And why not we do a community service? Now, there was also another point that was uh, misconstrued. Somebody was saying that I was anchoring my argument on a supposed uh, uh, community service bill, which is yet to come to the House. Therefore, a non-existing law cannot be relied on upon to legislate. You got it wrong. That was not the argument. Okay. I only cited it as an example that as part of our policy, government is even introducing a bill to actually fortify this position of non-custodial sentences. Therefore, it wouldn't be wrong for us to introduce non-custodial sentences, I mean, in our, in our, in our legislation. Very well. I think it's I think it's clear. We'll come back to see how you conclude with the consideration as you proceed. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate it. That's Deputy Majority Leader and MP for Ifuto Alexander Penyo Markin. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back. Let's do some more stories. The General Legal Council has revoked the practicing license of a former chief state attorney, Samuel Nkwe Tete, for professional misconduct. The said misconduct relates to his handling of the prosecution of businessman Alfred Weyeme in the 51 million city judgment debt scandal. Samuel Nkwe Tete, who was part of the prosecution team in 2012, was indicted by a Nyoko report for failing to mount a meaningful defense for the state leading to the payment of the 51 million cities to Alfred Woyome. He was also accused of causing Woyome to transfer 400,000 Ghana cities to the account of his wife without justification. This became a matter of criminal proceedings against Samuel Nekwe Tete as well as disciplinary hearing instituted by the General Legal Council against him. Mr. Nekwe Tete at the time denied the allegations but more than 10 years after the allegations were made, the General Legal Council has concluded the proceedings uh, relating to the transfer of 400,000 Ghana cities to the account of his wife by Alfred Agbesi Boyome. He was charged and has been convicted on one count for breaching the professional conduct and etiquette rules of the General Legal Council. The council thus, on November 23, 2023, ordered that his name be removed from the role of lawyers. This eyewitness news on 97. Now, there appears to be a battle between teacher unions and a special prosecutor or the Office of Special Prosecutor. It has to do with some teachers whose salaries have been withheld. The teacher unions have been given an ultimatum to the OSP. Thomas Musa is General Secretary of the Ghana National Association of Teachers, NAT. Mr. Musa, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What is the background to this story? So, thank you very much. Good evening, Sandra, to yourself and to all your listeners. And a brief summary is somewhere 22nd of January 2022. The teachers receive a letter that their monies are being paid. Then thereafter, they receive another information that they cannot go for the money because there is a directive from the OSP that they should not be paid. Now, it is important for us to understand how salaries are paid from controller and accountant general's department. 
at the end of every month, you ought to be validated by your head of institution. And once you are validated, it, it means that you have worked for the month and therefore you have been validated and you must be paid. If there is any questioning or if there is any issue, the validator ought to be questioned about how come you that you have no work that you've invalidated. So it must also start from the the director general because the director general is the one in charge of the agency like together with all the agents. But here we are. The OSP never had any discussion with the director general, never asked anything about the regional director, the district director, and straight to the banks telling them that they should not pay the teachers. And we indicated that this is totally out of the rules of engagement because by the labor law, you cannot do that. And the employer needs to keep the, the line of communication open. That is under Section 9. Section 10 provides that the, the worker has the right to receive information regarding the work that he is doing. And since Tuesday, we've indicated and pointed out this thing clearly to the OSP that it is wrong. And the employer told us that he's doing everything around the around the clock to make sure that the teachers are paid. As I'm speaking to you now, information written us indicates that uh, after this, the following banks have paid after Fidelity, CBG, Stambic, uh, Bonzale, Rural Bank. These five banks have paid. The outstanding banks that have not yet paid the money to the teachers are GCB, ADB, NIB, and SSB. And like we've indicated, Look, we are already having challenges in this particular country. We want to believe that nobody wants to heighten any tension in this particular country. I mean, we are using this opportunity that by the close of tomorrow, we are reminding the OSP to do the needful by instructing the, the, the following four banks to release the monies belonging to the teachers. If the OSP feels strongly that any teacher has done anything wrong, they should go and deal with the agency head. That is the director general. But the OSP has no business going to instruct the banks that they should not be paid. There is no law that gives the OSC that particular right, and we will not take it kindly from Monday. So your position is that by Friday tomorrow, if the withholding is not withdrawn uh, or reversed, the tools available to you generally are strike. Is that what we should be expecting, or you're going to sue the OSP? What's your plan? From next week, whatever happens, the OSP should be blamed. That is what we are saying. And they should trust us. We shall rise to the occasion and deliver. And we hope that the OSP will do the needful. Whatever happens from next week, the OSP should be blamed. So far, has the OSP written to you in any way to respond specifically to any of the issues that you've raised? Look, our checks indicate that that they have, uh, uh, GCB is saying that for them, they received the instructions. And OSP is also saying that uh, information written from everything uh, indicates that the OSP is saying that they have communicated to GCB to pay. And we are saying, uh, what kind of back and forth is this? So we are saying that, look, by the close of tomorrow, if these monies are not paid, whatever happens from next week, the OSP should take full responsibility. And we will not take kindly and we will not tolerate it. And from Monday, whatever happens, the OSP should be blamed. We'll keep an eye on that. Thank you so much Thank for you. speaking to us. Uh, but Thank how many people are affected, though, generally? How many teachers are affected? Okay, when, the, when we started, it was 1,310. 
And then we receive information that 906 have been paid, leaving our standing number 404, uh, 404 people. And we are expecting that by the close tomorrow, by the close of work tomorrow, the outstanding 404 should receive their money. All these 400 plus you talk about, are they from a specific region or across the country? I think they are across the, across the country. The majority of them are in the northern region. And that they are GCB, ADB, NIB, and SSB. These four banks have not paid the ticket. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Thomas Musa, his General Secretary of the Ghana National Association of Teachers. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Inosava. Let's settle for the details. Government is being urged to employ robust strategies to transform and diversify its economy by focusing on key areas that will enhance the development in the country. According to banking consultant Richmond Achiahine, government has relied on commodities and natural resources in the past for growth and job creation that is not sustainable. Richmond Achiahine was speaking at the investment dialogue jointly organized by City TV and City FM and as a capital. Our economy needs a serious economic diversification. Let me take you to Ivory Coast. I'm taking you to Ivory Coast. As you say, inflation is 3.6. Yes. If you go to Ivory Coast, currently, it's not only cocoa. It is not coffee. Do you know that when there was this COVID, they used to import, is it palm oil or oil palm, I don't know which is which. Is it palm oil? It used to be imported from Southern Asia. Do you know that? Uni, uh, what is it called? Is it, it's, called it's called Unilever. Unilever is now buying the oil to produce its sort from this buying majority from Ivory Coast. They don't depend on cocoa alone. They don't depend on coffee. They don't depend banana, banana, even banana. I have been there before, pineapple. It's so diversified. Mm-hmm. That's the economy. But unfortunately, instead of you creating an enabling environment for the private sector to go in, then you find government creating 1D1F, 1BK, 1DK, 1DK. But if you get government getting itself into business, it has never succeeded in anything. So I would prefer that, apart from meritocracy, let us create enabling for Ghanaian business people to appreciate it. Richmond Atiahine is a banking consultant. The Chamber of Petroleum Consumers is projecting a further upward adjustment in the prices of petroleum products in the second pricing window of February. This is attributed to developments on the international market and weakened city over the period. Executive Secretary of COPEC, Duncan Amwar, provides insights into the determining factors of the second pricing window. Uh, international benchmark uh, prices are up. 
The CD has seen some marginal depreciation uh, within the past 14 days. Uh, and then again, you also have a compendium of new and increased taxes on the fuel prices likely to kick in tomorrow. Uh, so overall, uh, petrol is expected to probably do about 2%. Diesel could do about 6.02% uh, from effective tomorrow. Uh, so for 5 kg of LPG uh, that you probably currently uh, paying around 180, you could be paying about 192 uh, for the same within the period. Duncan Amwa is the executive secretary of COPEC. Panelists on the investment dialogue are pushing for government to adopt a broader approach in its fiscal consolidation efforts. They argue that while the government's current strategy is pragmatic, it relies solely on boosting revenue and overlooks other crucial areas. Ghana's fiscal economy is expected to improve significantly in the next four years as the International Monetary Fund is projecting a lower fiscal deficit to gross domestic product ratio in 2024, 2025 and 2026. Assistant Professor of Economics at the Niagara University, Professor Dennison speaking on the issue noted that a better approach is critical. Budget 2024 tells us that the government is actually pursuing fiscal consolidation, but it is sort of skewed. Um, One would realize from the budget that the government is maintaining expenditure as a fraction of debt to GDP ratio across the entire forecast horizon. Expenditure as a fraction of GDP in 2023 is about 21.5%, and we expect it to be, remain consistent and later fall to about 20.5%. However, if we look at the revenue side, the other side of the equation, uh, we see quite a significant upward trend. The government is looking for ways to raise revenues. I'm not saying it's a bad strategy. We have had all the different revenue measures the government has put across. It is great. However, I believe that a better approach to ensuring fiscal consolidation would have been a more balanced approach. Reduce government spending a little bit whilst you enhance um, or whilst you increase the revenue side of the equation. Professor Dennison Safwa is an assistant professor of economics at the Niagara University. Banking consultant Richmond Achiahine also called for more expenditure reduction measures to consolidate macroeconomic gains. The government's ability to cut expenditure. I mean, we talk about fiscal consolidation. I mean, we cannot over, we cannot go with 86 ministers, so many people, and as the household are t- tightening their belt, some people, and now people have even been appointed to the Minister of State, adding already to the bigger ministry. I mean, I'm told the minister, the finance minister, is going to be a chief economic advisor. I mean, look. Fiscal debt sustainability is not only about the debt management of it. At times, you need to do expenditure cuts. I mean, we need to cut the level of expenditure on these ministries and MDAs. So many people. And what is happening is that we are telling the household, like the DDP, we've killed people in industry. And then people are driving in V8 as if the V8 is being produced in Accra. I find it quite incredible. It Mm. is only in Ghana Mm. that is happening. 
The Investment Dialogue series organized by Tessa Capital and City FM and City TV was under the theme, Clarity in the Chaos, What Lies Ahead for the Ghanaian Economy. Now, businesses are being encouraged to adopt prudent and value-based measures in their operations to mitigate the environmental risks associated with their operations. Ernst & Young, an accounting firm, suggests that this approach will enable businesses to stay competitive in the constantly evolving environment. Speaking on the sidelines of a sustainability forum organized by the accounting firm for Ghanaian businesses, Emmanuel Adekalo, the country managing partner, stressed need for businesses to align with sustainability principles to contribute to economic growth. We are businesses that also need to comply with the new regulations and all the requirements that are going to come, the transition to uh, low carbon, we are all impacted. Aside that, we also service providers and we need to draw on the solutions, the experts we have across our network to support businesses on the transition journey. Yeah, so I think it's a journey, uh, it's a journey we are not there yet, but I think we've begun making the right steps. Uh, like we heard Dr. Abinifo talk about today, the carbon framework has been developed, the regulations are in place. We've seen the Bank of Ghana regulation, the GAC guide. So the framework and the building blocks have been put in place. Now it is up to us as businesses and business leaders to pick this framework, study the framework, identify the risks and opportunities, and then embed that into business strategy and see how businesses can position themselves, one, to achieve compliance, but also to mitigate the risk and take advantage of the opportunities therein. That was the country managing partner Ernst & Young, Emmanuel Adekalo. Delivering an address on behalf of the Deputy Minister for Energy, Herbert Krapa, Seth Mahu, the Director of Renewable Energy at the Ministry, emphasized the government's efforts to prevent businesses from being disadvantaged in its pursuit of zero emissions. EV charging stations, clean cooking stoves, afforestations, etc. Ladies and gentlemen, we have rolled out smart initiatives to ensure that the business environment remains green, robust, and competitive in the face of the global threats for non-climate-friendly goods and services from the over-exploitation of finite natural resources which often lead to resource depletion and environmental degradation. As you may be aware, in some markets, in Europe for instance, there is stringent in the requirements now for goods that can enter into such markets. If you are not producing under green energy certificates, you will find it difficult to send your commodities or goods and services into such markets. That was the Director of Renewable Energy Unit at the Ministry of Energy, Seth Mahu. A global non-profit fertilizer research firm, the International Fertilizer Development Center, is set to complement the second phase of government's Planting for Food and Jobs program. Their objective is to empower local farmers with the necessary knowledge and skills to enhance crop yields. This initiative is scheduled to run from September 2024 to December 2029. During a press briefing ahead of the launch of the 50th anniversary celebration of IFDC, the National Coordinator for Fertilizer Research and Responsible Implementation, Dr. Williams Atakra, affirmed the IFDC's commitment to supporting the government's efforts in achieving food security. Now, uh, on this uh, extension officer training, all our programs 
that deals with like uh, agronomy, uh, marketing. We work with MOFA and we work with extension officers in the various communities. So uh, currently, uh, between 2019 and 2023, December, the Ferrari project worked in uh, eight regions in Ghana. And in each region, about five districts. And in each district, we have not less than six extension officers there. So they are our core uh, people on the field. We were not targeting extension officers in our first phase of the project, but we enrolled them because you can't do field research on the uh, farmer farm without contacting the extension officer. In the second phase that we are working on, which will start September 5, 2024, up to 2029, we are putting in it because of the request also from the Ministry of Agriculture on the need to train more extension officers. Dr. Williams Atakura is the National Coordinator for Fertilizer Research and Responsible Implementation Project under the IFDC. That's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. The Business News on Eyewitness News is brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Inosafo. Up next is Point Blank. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sandamadu. Tonight on Point Blank, President Akufadu has appointed Dr. Mohamed Amin Anta or Amin Adam as the Minister for Finance to replace Ken Oforiata. This morning, Bernard Kokwavle spoke to him on the City Breakfast Show. I want to listen to that interview and after that, speak to um, a former finance minister, Seth Tekme, on his views on the shakeup at the Ministry of Finance. Let's listen to Honorable Amin Anta speaking on the City Breakfast Show. Uh, I don't know whether it is important to debate over uh, elevation or not elevation. What is important is that we are always ready to save our country. The, whichever way you can contribute as a citizen to improving on the conditions uh, of your country for the betterment of your people, and I should be appreciated. And so uh, I am very, very ready to contribute my quota to support the, the vision and the program of the president. What kind of pressure does it put on you knowing that I think the biggest headline from yesterday was the, the, the fact that the finance ministry will have a new leader. And we know the finance ministry is at the center of everything in the country. Looking at your own trajectory from mayor of Tamale to Northern Regional Minister, Deputy Energy Minister, Minister of State. I mean, it's a big responsibility. How, how do you see it? Unfortunately, uh, I have been part of the Ministry of Finance for about a year now. And so I understand and I have become very familiar with the issues that need to be confronted. And even before then, uh, you know that I've been involved uh, at the highest level uh, in the management of uh, important issues. The energy sector is a very important issue. It continues to be an important issue. And finance ministry uh, has a critical role uh, to play in ensuring that we have an uninterrupted uh, energy uh, supply system uh, so that uh, we can grow our economy. There is no economy that can grow without this. And uh, I was 
very involved in the management of the of the energy sector. And so I am familiar uh, with what is happening. Uh, the global issues affecting our country, I know, and the domestic issues affecting our country. And secondly, let me add that the Ministry of Finance has very technically sound uh, system, uh, which is supporting the work of the of the minister. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, they will avail to me uh, all the expertise uh, so that we can combine efforts to address the the, the reaction has been interesting. Yesterday we spoke to two people and they seem to have the same view. Joe Jackson of Delex, let me quote him for you. He says, Amin is an economist who comes with a background in development economics. With experience in working for pro-poor and disadvantage, he has worked for Oxfam. I could go on and on and on. Putting him in charge at this time of crisis should give the needed boost to the poor and disadvantage. Unfortunately, he is coming nine months to time and that, for me, is the problem. How much time has he had to implement this type of policy? Unquote. How much time does he have to make an impact? That seems to be the view. What's your comment? I, I think that we should be very hopeful. Just as we are challenged, there is also hope. Because if you look at the budget that was presented this year, we have a number of initiatives that are targeting the poor and the vulnerable. And therefore, I do not intend to depart from the government's resolve in implementing those uh, approved initiatives. There certainly will be some new uh, other initiatives that we will bring on board. For instance, to ensure that disbursement those post-war initiatives that are in the budget are swift. There are bureaucracies involved in making disbursements, especially to the National Health Insurance Scheme, to the school feeding program, to the capitation grant, to LEAP. I will ensure that the disbursements flow as quickly as they should in order for the poor and the vulnerable to feel the impact of these programs. There are also tax uh, concessions, uh, tax waivers, tax reliefs that were provided for in this budget. We will again make sure that we move faster to uh, implement them so that people uh, can feel it. And so, yes, I have been working uh, in that uh, uh, area of supporting uh, for poor uh, people, segments uh, of our society, and I want to bring that experience to bear to ensure that they are not uh, insulated from the benefits that this economy will create. But having said this, it is also important to recognize that we are under an IMF program, and I have been part of the implementation of this program. Uh, through the first successful review of the program to date. And I am going to make sure that the program is not truncated. The program does not suffer. I want to assure the IMF, the investor community, that I will make sure that the, con- the program continues to be on track. Whatever commitments we have made as a government, 
I will work with the entire government machinery under the leadership and guidance of His Excellency the President to ensure mm. that the ISA program does not suffer. Okay. The Don't other forget that we mm -hmm. also we also are about negotiating with the World Bank under what we call the GPO, the Development Plan Corporation, which will see to the disbursement of almost a billion US dollars. I'm going to move very fast to negotiate this arrangement. And there are a number of commitments we are seeking to make, including some reform in the energy sector, in the financial sector, but also reforms that will ensure that the pro-poor uh, people are protected. I'm going to move very quickly to negotiate and conclude this negotiation. And whatever commitment we will make, some of them bordering on uh, revenue, uh, collection, uh, expenditure controls and commitments, I'll make sure that we do not deviate from mm. the path. All right. So those assurances, I'm sure, are important for the international community. The other concern, though, was expressed by, again, your colleague on the other side, the spokesperson on finance, um, what's his name, Adongo. And let me quote him again. He says, I do not doubt the competence and ability of Dr. Mohamed Amin. He was my former colleague on the finance committee, my senior at school, and I have great respect for him. Except to say that they've given him the job with one hand and taken it with the other. Because he is now minister, they have appointed the very person they are removing as the senior presidential advisor on the economy. What that simply means is that for Amin to get any policy through to cabinet or through executive approval of the president, the president has to go and consult the very same kind of Foriata. And so technically it means that Amin cannot do anything if Foriata is not in agreement because he would have to advise the president against it, unquote. Well, even my colleague, Honorable Adongo, I will consult him. I'll consult him whenever there is need to consult him. I will consult many stakeholders. So that's Mohamed Amin, Adam Mohamed Amin Anta, if you like, member of parliament for Karaga, who has just been named minister for finance, speaking to Bernard Kokwabla. It's his first interview as finance minister yesterday to replace Ken Ofurata, who has left the ministry and, for that matter, the government. Before Ken Ofurata became minister of finance, the man who was there, uh, Seth Tekpe is his name, he served as minister of finance in the John Mahama government. Before then, he was a deputy minister of finance in the Mills Mahama government. He's joined us on the line now uh, for some perspectives and reactions to what has happened at the finance ministry. Honorable Setekwe, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Umaro. <laughs> and good evening to your listeners. Good, good evening to you too. What's your initial reaction to the shakeup at the finance ministry? Finance ministries are usually the stable or the safe places to be at because people rarely change. I mean, Dr. Kwabna Dufour, when you served under him, served for four years. You, when you served there, you served for four years. Uh, Kenneth Oriata has served for seven years, and now he's living at the 11th hour. What do you make of the reshuffle okay. now? Well, thank you very much. The um, From what you stated, the uh, cabinet is offering you serve in any position in cabinet at the discretion of the president who can take a decision at any time. Um, having said that, yes, it's true that um, ministers for finance have been, you know, held a position, you know, for quite a stable period, beginning with uh, particularly Dr. Butchu's 
um, <clears throat> you know, period as Minister for Finance, the longest serving Minister for Finance. Uh, so that is what, you know, I can say. But I think we should also assess this against the background, you know, of public policy and against the background of performance, you know, of the economy, uh, which I think, you know, maybe one of the reasons <clears throat> why the president took the decision. Mm. Now, the budgets that you finance ministers read in parliament are budgets that you are doing for and on behalf of the president. What that means is that it's a president's economic policy that is actually implemented, not necessarily the finance minister. Or is it the other way around? My question is, if a president changes a finance minister, the general policy and general idea should not necessarily change, should it or would it? Well, we can go back to the Constitution. What you alluded to is clear in the Constitution. It is the president. It is the president who is charged under the under the constitution to present the budgets for the year, just as with the solar and medium-term plans to parliament. And so, if you listen carefully to the rendition, the minister for finance is always very clear. First in begging to present the budget, begging in quotes, you know, because you played through the speaker. To present the, the budget is often either or it's either on its own authority of His Excellency the President. Uh, and so that is the first point. The second point is even when it comes to policy, we have codified in the PF Public Financial Management Act 2016, what used to be administrative. And so now, proud to that, <clears throat> you know, the presentation of the uh, budget in parliament, the Ministry of Finance, led by the minister, is required to present a, a fiscal policy document to the president and to cabinet for approval before it can go back to the ministry and be translated into the budget, including the estimates. So there should be no question now that the minister for finance does not present or own the budget that is presented and laid before parliament and on which decisions are taken. The question therefore is, so... Can Oforiata out, I mean, enter in Dadana, or there would be a change? Well, we we were to see that the record is there, and we've discussed it before, including your on on your program. Ghana has defaulted, no question about that. We are struggling still struggling <clears throat> to um, reach an agreement to which to which we now have to get waivers before we even go to the board of the IMF. First, for the approval of the program itself. Second, for the first 
review of the program, which now includes Article 4. Creditors we owe hold sway, and until they give consent, you know, we have not been, we would not have been able to go to the board, you know, the IMF, and that is because the that situation of the country is there, and the IMF itself is not expected, and that statute to be lending to countries that are in default, which is why an arrangement, if not an agreement, and that assurance is given. We are a country where we have experienced the highest rate of you know, inflation, uh, where the budget elements, revenue is flat against <clears throat> increasing expenditures. We are a country where the deficit is the highest in several I would say decades, two or three at least. And we're a country where even to go through the program, we have had to lower the bar and be given the key performance criteria as a primary balance and not the fiscal balance, which leaves out interest payments, arrears, you know, and net debt repayment growth, we almost went into recession, and as I said, inflation has been high. And remember, this is against the background of a country or administration that has had two additional oil fields, making three, which has had the highest, <clears throat> and I mean the highest, amount allocated to it under the current IMF program, which is still ongoing. And even the amount released so far is equal to or about half of what you know other governments have re released for the three-year term. And we're a country where we could not do a turnaround of the economy, and I'm preempting anybody blaming it on COVID <laughs> and the Ukraine war, where six billion US dollars, and I mean US dollars are flowed into the economy without the ability to turn around you know the economy. This administration is not the only one <clears throat> that has you know suffered global or domestic setbacks from droughts to flood, you know, to global financial crisis, you know, name it. And so I think the situation, you know, is already there. And that is a context in which we would have to ask ourselves, you know, whether nine months, considering that the elections occurs in December and parliament will be going on recess soon, nine months will be enough, you know, to do a turnaround. And that's actually the question, which is going to be my last question to you. Uh, for many, the injury time is not enough for anything significant to be done. Do you agree with people who say that Aminanta cannot really do much because the budget for this year has already been presented? There's little he can do, and he cannot even depart from any of the programs and policies that his predecessor has put in place. 
Well, don't forget that in principle, the, the president can go back to parliament and plead for another budget, but it is practically virtually impossible considering that we have a very short you know, period to go. And the only policy document, fiscal, that's likely to go to the House now is the media review, which is could be ready before parliament goes on recess, before the deadline of July, and that is a review of the budget. You know, we also have, uh, in relation to your question, an IMF program, which is binding on the government and even the next administration, more or less, because a change would require going to the IMF board. And so we are stuck a bit uh, well, the good thing is that the Minister for State, uh, not merely a deputy, he was deputy in energy, um, was part of the preparation of the budget and the fiscal, you know, uh, strategy document and has, you know, spoken on the budget and on the IMF program. So one would assume that he, that's why the short period he has been there is immersed to some extent you know, on the policy issues that we are discussing and can continue to manage the administration. I mean, he has been um, in the CSO space. I don't know any other thing before. And so he's not particularly in the energy sector, uh, which is another sector very important to the economy. So we can only expect that the president has confidence in him that he can complete, you know, the term. Otherwise, I don't think he would have been appointed. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You're most welcome. That's Honorable oh. Seth Tekbe. He was Minister of Finance, uh, reacting there to the appointment of uh, Mohamed Amin Anta as Minister for Finance and what he can really do within the next few months before the expiration of the Akufado administration. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. I am Umaru Sanda Amado. I did this with Eno Safo production tonight by Komna Wilson, Beverly London, and Sami Uyafi. The technical support came through from Daniel Squashi. New media support from Daniel Abore Anyorika. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973. City 97.3 Accra.